I would like to register a formal rejection of the sentiment that scolds people for wanting to enjoy God's presence. And I know you've heard it. I've heard it, and I'm I'm, I'm probably people have said it, and I think that they're, I think that they think they're being, mm, I don't know, coachy, edgy, something. I don't know what they're being. But you know what they, you know, you've heard it, right? You've heard them say, hey, something to this effect. Hey, if you're just getting, if you're just worship, if you're just getting, if you're just trying to come to church just to enjoy God's presence, something, you know, you're doing that, you're doing it wrong. You need to have a motive, an agenda for it. You need to not just enjoy the presence of, you don't just need to get blessed, you need to get busy. And then they like hoist up their britches and march off. What? I do you know? Here's a here's a game I want you to play. I play the game. I play the game sometimes with myself, and sometimes I play it imagining other people. And I shouldn't do the latter, but I do. <laughs> here's a game. Here's a game. You ready for it? This is a good game. It's honestly a good game. Oh, I like your shirt. You have such good shirts. Yeah. I play. Here's a game. I want you to, when, whenever you hear yourself talking, or, or maybe you don't, you need to develop by the, the capacity to, to kind of step outside yourself and observe what's going on. That's a very healthy thing. But see, like, hey, what do I, who, the game is this. Who do I sound like in the Bible? It's a good game. For instance, if you're saying, if you hear yourself saying, like, that's not God, that's probably the devil. Think, who do I sound like? Oh, the people that said, that Jesus said couldn't be forgiven. You know, or if you say things like, hey, why don't, don't waste your time being blessed, get busy. Maybe you think, who do I sound like? Oh, I sound like the people Jesus rebuked because for trying to get the children away from Jesus. And he said, no, bring him here. Let me, let me put my hands on him and just enjoy this. Yeah. Follow, and then he followed up by, by the way, he said, unless you act like this, unless you treat the kingdom like this, you don't, you're not a part. So that's my formal protest. Dr. Zeff is upset. He's throwing things down. Formal protest. You 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 need to if you want to be busy you you better be blessed. And this is the deal. This is the deal. This is the deal. This is why even though if, no matter I don't have to. Sorry, conversations. Here's the deal. He said to me, he leaned in and he said, "Stay subject to the blessing." My wife's grandfather. Stay subject to the blessing. Those words are on purpose. Stay, (laughs) keep, keep on, subject, submitted to the blessing. Blessing is a good thing. He he meant, of course, he was talking about the person of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit, the the outpouring of the Spirit, but the, the term is the blessing. Stay submitted to that wonderful sense, that delight in the presence of the Lord and yieldedness to that. Stay subject to that. If you will, that, that is the key. Otherwise, look, if you're not going to be, if you, will, won't, if you don't let yourself, don't let, if you don't intentionally stay subject to being blessed, then all you'll ever be is busy, but not very fruitful. Because from what I understand from what I read in here, that fruitfulness comes from abiding. That's what I read in here. It's a fun game. Every, just think, who do I sound like in the Bible? And then, if you want to be critical, think, who do they sound like? But I don't recommend that. 
Yeah. But it's a good game because you think, oh, I, I probably should modify my behavior. I sound like the people that are the bad guys in the Bible. <laughs> Stay subject to the blessing. We've been talking on Sunday mornings about uh, keeping an eye on eternity. And yet tonight is our spirit-filled living night. Is it possible that, that our, the talk about both of those, keeping an eye on eternity and, and, and spirit-filled living, are are, we, are these two different chapters in the book, two different streams, or, or are they related? Yes, they are perfectly related. Uh, we're gonna, I'd like you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 1. Uh, I make no apology for returning to the fundamentals. If, when you forget the fundamentals, you forget what game you're playing, right? Right? So let's come back to the fundamentals. So spirit-filled living is very much about it's very much about keeping an eye on eternity. And remember, we keep an eye on eternity so that, everybody say so that. We keep an eye on eternity so that we will live radical, faithful, fervent lives today. This is, this is eschatology and ecclesiology are parallel tracks. They, 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 they complement one another. So let's take a look here. How are these connected? Let's go to Acts chapter 1. I want us to, I'm, I'm going to read verses, uh, verses 7 through verse 11, and uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to break down like this tonight. We're going to talk about what's not for you, what is for you, and why. Not for you, what is for you, and then why. You ready for it? Now, the, the, the title tonight is this. I don't, I don't make a big deal about titles, but it works. This is how you can be part of his story. And yeah, you get the history part in there. But this is how you can be part of his story. Spirit-filled living is about being part of the story of God, the story of Christ, the story of the gospel. Here's how we do that. I guess I should come back to chapter 6. That's, that's the beginning of the, I mean, verse 6, that's the, the paragraph there. Uh, let's just look at 6. It says, so when they had come together, the disciples, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel. Huh. I don't, you know, we should be very patient with one another because even after all that Jesus said and did and the crucifixion and the resurrection and all of that, they still are thinking, they're, <laughs> they're still crossing their fingers, he is going to deal with Rome. Come on, Jesus, right? And are you going to, is it now? Is this, is, I mean, they still, I suppose it's difficult because we have 2,000 years of hindsight for us to realize how just how embedded this paradigm was in their minds, that, the, that this Messiah was coming to set up an earthly kingdom. Even though he said, my kingdom is not of this world, right? But regardless, they're still thinking it. So here, now here's one more corrective he gives to them in verse 7. Are you going to set up the, are you going to do this now? Is this the time? Verse 7, it is not, it is not for you to know the, the times or the epochs, the general seasons, which the Father has fixed by His own authority. What's not for us? It is not for us to, to, to try to forecast the future and to know when things are going to happen and how. It is for us, it is for us, we'll talk about what is for us in a minute, but it's not for us to make charts and graphs and maps, figure it all out, and then just rub our hands together and, and wait, and then to just pat ourselves on the back and say we were right. Or pedal a paperback. But uh, 
It's not for you to know those things. But verse 8 says, but this is what, what is for you, is verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Here's why. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, can you blame them? They were gazing intently into the sky because maybe, maybe they thought, oh, he's coming back. He left before, he's coming back, he, um, he'll be right back. Okay. Gazing into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. I don't think this is intended to be funny, but it does amuse me, the image, because I don't know how many of them are there, 12, a dozen, a hundred, but they're all looking up. And then two other guys show up and they look at them and they look up and they look at them. And, and how long were the angels standing there looking at them while they were looking up? It just, it just looks like, it, like a sitcom or a, you know, like a, but, or physical comedy almost. So while they're, while they're staring, everybody say while they're staring. I want you to get that. While they're staring into the sky, two men show up and they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? In other words, sky staring is not how we keep an eye on eternity. Sky staring is not how we do it. That's not what it means to keep an eye on that. Actually just ignoring the world around us and, you know, and measuring and hoping and staring. He said, this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. That is how we keep an eye on eternity. Having an awareness and an expectation that this same Jesus, would you all say this same Jesus? This same Jesus who left is coming back. That is a healthy view. That's what we're talking about on Sunday mornings, is that, this, that we are in a race we have, a, we have a purpose and a focus, and there is a finish line. Whether that finish line is the end of my life or the return of Jesus, there, this whole thing is coming to a very specific end. And in the meantime, you and I are supposed to be part of his story. It's not for us to stand staring. It is for us to receive power because he's coming back. So this is how verse 8 then tells us how it is that you and I can be part of his story. Now, I am aware that verse 8 is not unfamiliar to you in this room. I am aware that it is, uh, for those, for, many, for most people, it is a, it's one of those kind of famous verses. But I want to challenge you tonight to try to read through it slowly again or hear it carefully again. In fact, I want to specifically challenge you not to mentally go, yep, check, I got that. I think I'll just surf Facebook for a while on my phone until he's done. No, let's look at verse 8. Now, again, I'm reading from the New American Standard. Read it in whatever version you like, but let me just read it again. You, 
will receive power. Now, you've got to keep this in context. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons, but Jesus is coming. So in the meantime, please say that with me, in the meantime, in the meantime, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. This is what is for you. This is how you and I can be part of this story, part of his story. Just by a show of hands tonight, how many of you want to be part of his story? Okay, my daughter is the first one. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, uh, uh, we want to be part of his story. So let's read this really slowly and start. What is, and I realize there's, a, there's an Allah there probably in verse 8 there, but uh, the, the first significant word in, in, chap, in verse 8 is what? You. Everybody say you. You. Who, who is this verse written to and about? You. When you read verse 8, it is really important that you read this and you say, oh, this means me. When you read you, you say, that means me. Please, everybody say that out loud. This means me. You shall receive power. You, you, you must believe. That's the second person plural. That's he's not lim- that verse is not limited to the to those sitting there in context. We need to understand that Luke wrote this down because he wants his audience to understand that this promise is supposed to be received or believed and received by everyone who is reading this. Friend, if you're hearing my voice tonight, this means you. You must believe that this is for you. You will receive power. That is one of the beautiful things about being a Pentecostal. And maybe it's true for everybody, but because I am one, I just know about my frame of reference. But in Pente- the, the beauty of Pentecost is we believe that Scripture teaches that the gift of the Holy Spirit in fullness, without reservation, without accommodation, without adjustment or small print, is for all flesh. This means you. And there isn't a hoop to jump through. There isn't a qualification because Jesus met those qualifications. This is, you must believe that you are supposed to be part of the story. You must believe that you are supposed to be part of the story. Do you believe that yet? Let me say it again. You must believe that you are supposed to be part of the story. I keep hearing these little checks in my head. Yep, that's right. No, You are not supposed to believe the story is about you. You are part of his story. We must involve ourselves. How many of you have read all through the book of Acts? Have you read the whole thing? Let's pretend we did. Let's just read real quick. Okay, so let's let's jump to the finish. Okay? And there's a little paragraph marker there in verse 30 of chapter 28 of Acts. And here it is. And he stayed two years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus with all openness 
unhindered, the end. What part of my words were not in the Bible? Yeah. Everybody say, they're not, that's not there. It's not, the, the, there is, that's the thing about the book of Acts, is it just, it doesn't say, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. There's no, it doesn't stop. It just sort of ellipses. Some folks have argued that Luke intended to write a third volume. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts, and then he intended to write a third volume. That may be true, but even the book of Luke kind of comes to a close. Acts just doesn't. And to be, to, to wax sort of, uh, to wax perhaps preachy or spiritual, I will just say this, that's because the third volume is being written now. It's a long one. It's a long, the third volume is big. And there are names after name after name in that volume and page after page and story after story, life after life after life that the Holy Spirit is still writing down people that are a part of His story, that are participating in the ongoing work of the kingdom. And you, 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 you are supposed to be part of that story. It's a great big book. There's room for your name. There's room for your life and part of this story. You must believe this. You are part of it. The story continues with you. You. You are part of the story. How are you part of the story? Well, you will receive power. You will receive power. You will receive it. You will be given something as a gift. You will receive power. It doesn't say you'll buy it. <laughs> That's true. As, and if you try, you get trouble. That's one of those times that people talk about when they talk about, you know, when I want to remind the church how much money they give, I think, oh, you should think about, play the game. Who do you sound like in the Bible? <laughs> oh, you sound like the guy that Peter said, you, you and your money go to hell. Be careful how you talk. What, who do I play the game? Who do I sound like? It's a great game. It'll help you with discipleship. You will receive power. It is a gift. Would you all say it is a gift? Jesus paid for it. Jesus prayed for it. Jesus poured it out. We read about this in Acts two. Peter made that very clear. That having ascended to the right hand of the, of the Father, he has received this, which he ha, which he hath poured out. It's a free gift, and yet the word is receive. Which, which does involve you deciding. Receiving is not a matter of, your, of, of you paying for it or you earning it, and it's not even a matter of effort, but receiving is a decision. Receiving is a decision. He, he does not say, but, but, but does, the, 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 Jesus does not say, but I will cram power down your unwilling throats. He doesn't. You will receive. The word is lambano. Everybody say lambano. I got, a, I got a Facebook message from a Cuban the other day, and all she said was JJJJ, which is ha ha ha. It's J E J E. That's how they say ha ha. JJJJ, lambano. It's because it's easy to teach them that. And so receive is. Give me that. Right? I am lambanoing. 
Lambano. Lambano. Did you hit it? Yeah. Yeah. The problem is every time I do this, I forget what I took. Sometimes I take it from like the senior pastor's wife where I go and then I get nervous. Well, whose is this? How you know? Oh, I know this is my wife. She's got that little doohickey thing. Okay. In the Lambano is the same. It's the same. In Greek, it's just the same. To take or to receive is the same. It's the same word. I take, I receive. Brian Saltwasser, it was a, it took Greek after me, and so he used to come in my office and say, Lambano, and he'd take a pen, you know. <laughs> I take, I receive. And, and the difference is the context, of course, but it's the same, but, but the, 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 the feel of receive is the same. It is, Lambano is not passive. It can't. It's, it, it is a decision. You, it is this. It's not I'm going to reach in and take something that doesn't belong to me like I was just doing to you. It's not that. But it does involve my will, not my willpower, but my will. Yes, I believe this is for me. Would you say that with me? Put your hands like this, this and just say that. I believe this is for me. That's Lambano. Jesus has paid for this. He has prayed for this. He has poured this out. He freely offers this to you. But you must Lambano. You must Lambano. I believe this is for me. I must. So there's the, here it is again. You will Lambano power. Now I'm sure there's probably some sort of a modification to the syntax there. But. You will receive power. You will. It is a gift that you have to grasp and accept. Faith is involved here. Not enough faith, but faith that says, you got faith that starts off with the word you. Yeah, with that word. You means you have to believe this is for you, and you are supposed to be part of this, that you are part of his story, that you are part of this whole purpose, that you are included, this is for you, that you are included and not excluded. Secondly, you must believe that, this is, that, there's, that, that you are supposed to receive this power, that this power is for you, and that you are going to have to decide that it is yours. That is, that you're supposed to have it. Ah, Ah, not, oh, am I worthy or have I done this? And certainly not after experiencing the power, look back and say, well, dig me, check me out. No, no, no. I am receiving something that was procured for me by someone else. You receive this word power. Everybody say this word power. Power. We know the word is dunamis. We know what it means. But it really is. It's an energy word in the Greek. It's an energy word that, that conveys the idea of miraculous power, of divine enablement. This is the same word. We don't have time tonight. I'm not going to take the night time tonight. I can do it later. This is the same word that Luke uses to describe the works of Jesus over and over and over again. When Luke uses this word power in the gospel of Luke, he actually is primarily talking about ministering healing or casting out demons. So when 
the, so when Theophilus reads this and we read this after reading the book of Luke, we think, hey, wait a minute. That word power has consistently meant divine enablement to do those works of Jesus, the mighty works, healing and deliverance, and later on in Luke, just general miraculous activity. This word power is never, somebody say never. This word power is never once used by Luke as some sort of metaphor. It's not a metaphor for, oh, he's powerful. Like, you know, he combs his hair good or has a unique personality or has some sort of a skill level that we, that we use that word power metaphorically so often. It is not a metaphor. It really is speaking. Just lean into it and just get in there. It literally, is literally talking about a divine energy, the spirit of God himself, God's own power working in you the same way that God was working in Jesus. Now, again, this is why it's going to take faith for you to believe that. Wait, I can't. But the text doesn't allow you to, to define it differently. You, you will commit biblical, uh, just, just blow, you will butcher this thing if you try to extract it and define power differently than how Luke is. He, Jesus is literally saying, "When you are going to be part of this story. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons, but you are part of something. And, for, and what's going to happen is you are going to receive power. Being part of his story requires his power. Being part of his story requires his power. I can't say enough. Being part of his story requires his power. Power means you and I will do like Jesus. Everybody say it with me. Do like Jesus. We must. Come on, let's swing for the bleachers. If we're going to believe anything, let's believe for the whole shooting match. Don't, don't, don't bunt. Don't step up to the plate and go, blap, and just try to get by. No, let's swing. Let's believe God. We may blow it. We may miss it. We may lose some battles. We may not understand everything. But swing for the bleachers. Believe that we're supposed to do the works of Jesus. Being part of his, being part of his story. Not a, oh, not a different story, not a lesser story, not a junior varsity story, not a story that doesn't inspire. His story changes the world in arguably three to five or whatever years. His story turns the whole world upside down. But to be part of his story, you need his power. And you will receive it. Jesus said, you will receive power. You will receive it. You must. And you must know this. Who said that? You, it's so, it's so crazy. I don't know where we get these ideas. I, maybe it's just all me. Maybe I'm nuts. But we hear, you will receive power. And the first thing I do is say, oh God, please do that for me. What? Why do I treat something that was his idea like it was my idea? What? Oh, he's like, no, this was his idea. This is his promise. Power is predicated on his promise, not on your performance. Power is not a reward for your good behavior. Power is the only way that you're going to have any good behavior. 
He doesn't give power to good people. His power makes people good. This is not your idea. This is, you did not come up with this. You say, well, how come I want it so bad? Because that's the echo of heaven speaking to you. Heaven's, heaven's desire to empower you. You feel that, and your soul echoes with that cry. And you say, yes, Lord, me. And you think, well, maybe I'm supposed to beg. No, you're saying amen. You're saying yes. You're hearing the voice of heaven. So don't let anybody talk you out of it. Don't let anybody say, oh, you shouldn't seek after his, seek his face, not his hand. Shut up. Stop talking. Look at me, camera. Don't say that. They, they specifically prayed for his hand in four. Lord, stretch out your hand. We need your hand. Our hands, no good. Your hand, very good. It's his idea. This power is his promise. You, did you hear Jesus? He's talking to the men of Galilee. There's probably gals there too. You will receive. And yet people come and they think, well, if I get it right, if I say the right thing, if I say the right words, if I ask the right way, stand on my head, spin around the right way, shout the right way, spit the right way, play the right music, play in key, play F, play E flat, play Bethel, whatever it is, maybe I'll get it right. You will receive power. You've got to believe this. It's about that this is for your part of this. That you receive this. You have to believe this is for you by faith. And that what you're receiving is power. Power to be like Jesus, to do like Jesus. You're not Jesus, but you need power to act like him. You need that, but it's his idea. It's his idea. It's his promise. You will receive it. When and how? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's good. If you read your, I believe if you read the old King Jimmy, it might say something like this. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Or after, the word is, I think King Jimmy uses the word after. Okay? And that's because the word when there is not a concurrent. It, the word when comes after. And I'll, I'll explain this later. But <clears throat> power, okay. the coming of the Holy Spirit is the primary first verb. And the receiving of power is a, is a, is, a, is a verb that happens after. So you receive power because of and after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power, in other words, it's just very simple. Power is a direct result of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. So yes, we're saying, oh, you shall receive power, but you re really should, it says, it's after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power. So your primary, so we, are, we understand my need is power, but my primary need, my primary desire, the primary promise isn't even power. The primary promise is the person of the Holy Spirit. So we, we and we mustn't and cannot talk about power, power to be, power to do. None of that is possible apart from the promise of the Spirit. The point really of Acts 8 isn't even you or even power, it's the Holy Spirit. 
He's the point. He is the promise. And I'd like to camp on this longer tonight. I don't know that I will, but I feel like I'd, I feel ornery enough to do it. When after you will receive power, how? After the Holy Spirit. So who is he promising? The Holy Spirit. Who should we be opening our hearts to? The Holy Spirit. Who should be the focus of our petition? The Holy Spirit. Who should we receive gratefully into our lives time and time again? The Holy Spirit. In other words, power is a direct result of an experience with a person. Power comes from relationship. And relationship is built upon repeated experience. Ongoing experience. This power comes from the Holy Spirit who is God himself. This is a very personal experience. This is why I would come back to even when I said opening up in my, in my, my wanted to log an objection. Saying, oh, don't, don't just be, seek to be blessed. What? No, Jesus actually said, you could almost phrase this, you will be empowered because of the embrace of the Holy Spirit. You, your life will have power to be and to do like Jesus only because of the embrace of the Holy Spirit. Your embrace of him, but his embrace of you. That embrace, that living communion, that, that, that mutual grasp will be the source of power to be like Jesus. That's the source. That's the flashpoint. Is your connection with your relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Would you all say the Holy Spirit? He is holy. He is holy. I don't feel like I need to hammer on that tonight, but He is holy. His presence is holy. His influence is holy. The wind of the Spirit always blows toward holiness. He has a holy influence and a holy residue. He's not silly. He certainly isn't carnal. He's holy. And this experience that Jesus is talking about is not some sort of an impersonal force. This is God's personal empowering presence. And it is absolutely the result of experience and ongoing experience. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's a burkomai. There's what all he has, he has all these phrases. Luke has all these phrases. Golly, I think I can I might be able to name five or six of them. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. He, the first word he uses is uh, I believe uh, <laughs> baptized and then filled and then comes upon and then pours out. And then falls upon. There's at least there's five or six of these words that these phrases that Luke uses to describe this ongoing experience with the Spirit. And the same people in the text have these different these different things happen to them. In other words, this this promise of the Holy Spirit. It, I mean, Peter. I don't know how many times it, he's a part of a situation where the Holy Spirit comes upon, is poured out, is is falls upon. All these things. We need to believe that, the, that our experience with the Holy Spirit is absolutely not a singular one-time mark on our belt, 
but that what we enter into is an is, is a is a when we enter into this promise, we are entering into an ongoing, ongoing, sequential, significant experience with the Spirit, and that experience will be continually empowering, so that we'll be part of His story. And then he says, you will be my witnesses. I love this next part. You will be my witnesses. Would you all say, you will be my witnesses? Okay. I just have to do a little soapbox. He does not say, you will go witnessing. Let me explain. I'm not sure when that phrase came up. Have you, let's go witnessing. Witness is a, a, a noun. It's a noun. You don't go nouning. I don't understand that. <laughs> you don't go nouning somewhere. You just don't. It's not something. You, you, it's not something that you. Uh, it's this be, being a witness is something that you are. It's actually something that you become or transformed into or enabled to become because of the Holy Spirit. Somebody like, well, hey, Dad, where are you going with this? You know where I'm going with this. I'm, I mean. That being a witness is not about every other Thursday putting on your Christian t-shirt and passing out a track. And then going home and living like hell. Or, being, or going home and being, you know, being rude to your spouse or being, being a poor worker or gossiping about people. Or it certainly isn't about you know, you know, raising your voice at church and singing at church and then, and then on the way home just devouring everybody at church that you didn't like. Or didn't like the way they were dressed or how they talked or whatever else. None of that is being a witness. Most of that is being a phony. The Holy Spirit comes upon us to transform our lives so that the entirety of our life becomes evidence. To be a witness means to be evidence. Would you all say evidence? It doesn't mean just to talk. Being a witness doesn't mean just to talk, and it certainly doesn't mean a title. You don't, in fact, to be a witness, you don't need a title and you don't need to talk. Now, we're called, you say, aren't we supposed to preach the gospel? Absolutely. There are definite imperatives to go preach, but Acts 1.8 doesn't use the word evangelia. It doesn't, it doesn't use the proclamation phrase. It's talking about testimony, evidence. The use of this word, Jesus' use of this word, the Old Testament use of this word is constantly simply something that stands as convincing evidence of a truth. No, I'm not giving you permission to keep your mouth shut and never share Jesus. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is open your mouth, but also talk with your life. Talk with all of your life. And not just talk. You don't need to. It's not about just yammering, and it certainly isn't about you. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you shall receive a title. What nonsense. You don't have to have any title whatsoever. Every single one of us, it doesn't, you, don't, you don't need to be leader this or title that. You're to be a witness. And to be a witness, let me just grind on this, friends. In, there, are, there are places in the world, from what I understand, that haven't heard about Jesus. And those people need to hear him. I will just gently say this, by and large, for the most part, North America is not that place. Now, I know that you could say, oh, I know somebody who doesn't really understand. I'm not saying that they all have a perfect understanding about Jesus. I don't think everybody who sits in these chairs has a perfect understanding about Jesus. But I am saying that our culture knows his name. 
I am saying that our culture knows him well enough to make fun of the gospel. If various uh, you know, animated programs can make fun of church and make fun of Christians and make fun of prayer and make fun of, and, even, and even talk about, oh, Jesus this and Jesus is our Savior and Jesus died and all this, they know that there is not, and particularly in North America, there is not some desperate famine that no one's ever heard of Jesus, no one's ever heard that he died for our sins or that, or that Christians believe that he is their Savior. There, again, there's differing levels of understanding, and people deserve a clear understanding of, of the gospel. But the needed, but don't ever, I'm just fed up with people saying, people need to know about Jesus. They've heard. They just don't believe it because there's no convincing evidence. That we are not called to just yammer and talk about Jesus. The Holy Spirit has come upon the church so that we can prove it. Prove it. You are supposed to be living proof that Jesus is Lord. Your life is living proof Jesus is Lord. Living proof Jesus is Lord. Your, your, your thoughts, your words, your conduct are, are evidence. Your character is evidence. The fruit of his life in you is evidence. And the power that flows from your life is evidence that Jesus is Lord. It's not that America hasn't heard it. They just don't believe it. But the, pro- this is the, the promise is not just that you will talk. If that's all, Jesus could have sent them out to talk. He actually said, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't say nothing until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then have confidence that the Holy Spirit will supply you with power. You will become something. You will become something else. You will become evidence. People don't just need to be told. They need to be convinced, and that's what a witness does. It's not your job. But see, it's not your job. A witness doesn't have to worry about persuading someone. Whether or not they believe is not on you. Your job is to be evidence. Your job is to be evidence. Your job is to be evidence. And the Holy Spirit makes us evidence. The Holy Spirit makes us evidence. That's or witnesses, testimony. To do that, you'll need power. To be a witness, you need power. To have power, you need the Holy Spirit. And you will, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. You will be my living evidence. You will be the testimony that, that, of that I am Lord in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's, that's, that he, he meant that literally. The church expanded all of that way into the ends of the earth. But as literal as that is, it speaks to us, especially the last part. You and I don't spend a lot of time in Jerusalem or Judea and Samaria. And yeah, I know people talk about that. That's what we know. We talk about our, our, own, our own city, the surrounding regions, Samaria. Oftentimes people say, uh, metaphorically speaks of places we don't like or places we don't want to go. <laughs> but here's the deal, that last part, to the ends of, or to the, or to the NASB, to the remotest part of the earth. That means that, that, that there isn't any place or any time, there aren't any boundaries that you cannot be evidence that Jesus is Lord. Your assignment is boundaryless. Yes, he'll guide, he'll direct. I know people say, hey, what, didn't, that, didn't the Holy Spirit keep Paul from going to that one place? Yeah, but after he didn't go to that one place, that place later on became a massive revival center. So relax, okay? That you, go, wherever God sends you, wherever your feet go, 
Your assignment is to be evidence that Jesus is Lord. And in that way, you and I will be part of Acts 29 and Acts 30 and Acts 31. You will be part of his story. You will be evidence that Jesus is Lord because the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll talk about it. You'll sing about it. You'll live it. You'll demonstrate it. You'll walk in compassion and character and power. He will supply you with power. And it will be in this order. Are you ready? Spirit, power, witness. Come upon you is in the aorist participle. So the, that means that it, that happens after or it happens, that happens before the main verb. So the Holy Spirit coming upon us is the first thing. Then we receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? So you don't need to understand all the Greek there. And I, and I, and I actually just messed up my own notes there. But here's the deal. The text language is this. The, the, the way that it goes is Jesus saying, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And as a result of the Holy Spirit coming upon you, then you will, because of that, receive power. And because of that, you will be my witnesses. Spirit, power, Witness. Say those three things with me, please. Spirit, power, witness. And that's our prayer tonight. Relationship, power, evidence. Experience, empowerment, evidence. That's our prayer tonight. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Grant us power. Grant us to be evidence that Jesus is Lord. I'd like us to pray together in that way tonight. A lot of times when we have prayer, I, I'll say, hey, I you know, want to lay hands on you. My, my, and that's fine. I, I certainly agree with that. But what we want to make sure that we understand is that <clears throat> the Holy Spirit doesn't come because someone else you know, lets you have him. <laughs> if we lay hands on you, it's, it's simply a, a point of contact. It's an agreement. It's biblical that we come together that, and that there is, there is tangible ministry there. But we understand this, that that especially there are multiple times where, where there, there, this, this, there are, our, our encounter with the Holy Spirit simply is a matter of us opening our hearts and lives to Him in prayer. So can we do that? I don't know if, um, I don't know if Aaron, you want to play or we can play some music, but uh, maybe Aaron, if you want to play a little bit, that's fine. But can we do that? Can we stand together tonight and close by waiting upon the Lord I know I've talked a lot tonight, and I hope I didn't uh, uh, say things that, are, that would confuse you or, or, or frustrate you anyway, because I don't want to distract. I'm trying to keep the main thing the main thing. That how, are we, how we're a part of his story is that we, that we accept and we believe that we're supposed to be because we receive, firstly, the person of the Holy Spirit. And with an, with, that's, a, that's a real experience. It's an ongoing experience in our lives. That experience produces power. That power makes us witnesses. So Holy Spirit, we're, we're, at, we're looking to you tonight. We recognize, Spirit of God, that you are promised and you are not performed. We do not earn you. We do not deserve you. We believe for you. We accept and believe the promise of Jesus. Lord, that's our prayer tonight. It's perfectly acceptable, church, to just pray that. Lord, we are asking. We're not, we're not begging, we're not, but we are certainly asking tonight. We respond to the word of God. We respond to the scripture. We respond to the promise of scripture by asking, Lord, would you baptize us in your spirit again tonight? 
Would you pour out your spirit upon us fresh tonight? With the, with the Holy, Holy Spirit, would you come upon us, fall upon us, fill us, baptize us afresh tonight? Lord, and as we do, we will anticipate you to empower us to be evidence, a testimony that Jesus is Lord. Lord, our hearts look to you. Come on, church, would you? I, I, can't, I don't want to persuade you or cajole you, but I want to invite you to just maybe stand to your feet. If you want to come to the front, stay where you are. You can turn around and kneel if you'd like to. But can we just, let's petition with faith and ask for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. Aaron, play a little bit robustly if you, if you will. Church, I encourage you to pray. Let's just wait upon the Lord together. I encourage you not to be silent, but to vocalize your desires to the Lord.